Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us here on our 92nd episode of the podcast. We get a chance to talk to Jerry DeFilippo of Challenger Strength in New Jersey. Coach DeFilippo is the head trainer, owns and operates Challenger Strength. He serves as a strength coach. He also serves as a strength coach for the Jersey Hitmen, orchestrating programming training for eight different Hitman teams. Um, of all ages, uh, we get in the conversation talk about also how he's training, starting to train girls, uh, getting into multiple, multiple sports. But since founding Challenger Strength in 2016, Jerry has worked with over 100 college, college-bound professional athletes amongst multiple sports. Numerous articles has been published. He's had numerous articles published by Elite, F- Elite F- FTS muscle and strength in elite baseball performance. He's certified in by the industry legends Joe DeFranco and James Smith. As a certified physical preparation specialist, he specializes in athletic performance, pre-movement preparation, strength, power, speed, core training, program design, mental toughness, all built on the seven pillars of athletic performance. Aside from being certified physical preparation specialist, Work with athletes. He's also an ISS certified personal trainer with a background in personal training and general fitness. This guy is a no doubt follow on Twitter. He's going to give you great things to show, great things to implement, and give you great things to think about in terms of how you're training. Absolute great, great follow. Follow him on Twitter at challenger underscore st. Follow him on Instagram challenger strength. You can also check his podcast out at muscles management wherever you check out your podcasts check out his website challengerstrength.com and none of this would be possible and I got to give a big shout out to our sponsors netting professionals Will Miner and guy at netting pros are improving programs one facility at a time Netting professionals specialize in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital wall, graph padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting pros continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school, and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact Will Miner. Contact the guys at Netting Professionals at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. So here we go. Episode 92 with Coach Jerry DeFilippo of Challenge of Strength. It's going to be a good one. We had a lot, covered a lot, so be ready. Buckle up. And here he is, Coach Jerry yeah so i mean it i would say something i've noticed like having social media um it has just really been funny funny and fun i guess you could say both to see like put something out there and then like like, like, did you kind of grow a following i don't know 21,000 20,000 whatever it is followers right now or something yeah like did that happen overnight? I'm like, no, it didn't. Like, it's not like a there's not like what I hear TikTok is like, where you put out a viral video and the next thing you know you wake up and you have like ten thousand followers. It's not like that. 
it's just like a slow kind of grind. It's a lot like training. Um, you have to be consistent and put up good stuff and do the right stuff. And it, you start to grow and you, you know, connect with people that have larger followings. If they like your stuff, like there were some, definitely some people that uh, were helpful for me to grow on there. Early on. Pitching in to share a lot of my stuff. He's a great guy that I've become friends with. Uh, and he's on the sh my show a couple of times. So like having people like that, that like repost your stuff has been helpful. Um, you know, guys like Kyle Bodie doing the same thing and Zach Dakin and all, like, all these guys that are like pretty big in the community and they were on there. Like people might look at me. You know, it's, it's very crazy to me now. They even think this is a possibility. People may look at me as like one of those people at this point, but like I wasn't at one point a few years ago and they were still who they are. So like them sharing my thoughts and my tweets and connecting with me and just being really gracious and, um, you know, really nice and welcoming is, it was definitely a help. So yeah, that tweet you're referring to, I put out as a, well, I did with phone roll. Yeah. Basically, that's yeah. Basically kind of signaling for the athlete to stop. And um, it, it went kind of crazy. Like I got a few thousand likes, which is kind of a lot in like an S and C post. Like, you know, you see viral tweets all the time. You don't uh, drill and, and strength training and get 15,000 likes or something. Uh, but it, it kind of went off and a couple of big time coaches, um, blank on his name, oh, uh, Brad, uh, Deweese, I'm a Deweese or Deweese, I don't know how to say his last name. I probably should, but he, uh, quoted it and he's like a big time guy. He's the director of performance for the Jets, the New York Jets. Um, he posted it and put it out there and that kind of got it some extra traction. So it was just cool. Like, I remember like I, I went to bed and I woke up to like 500 follow new followers, which is, is even a so like having several thousand it's still a lot to wake up to so it's definitely a cool app like it, it is really um you know something to grow on if you put the right it's a really good place to network so i'm thankful for for having it as a platform for sure yeah man like i said i followed you for if i was for that but i just you know i said i remember that the, the next day tweet that you had and um it was super cool because, yeah, I've always appreciated good content. Yeah, I think I said something like, oh, there's a lot of you that are new here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I every so often, like, if something like that happens, like, a thousand new people are now following me. I'm like, you're not used to anything I say. And uh, I'm kind of, like, unique in being so forward and open about stuff. Yeah. Respect. That was so, I mean, so um, uh, just just thinking about that, those kind of drills, because I know that's just something that, you know, you've done and, and, and you, you seem to. Uh, it, it wasn't just like a one-time thing. Yeah, you know? we do a lot of that, especially like the last like six months. Or to, um, incorporate and, and emphasize the importance of deceleration and stuff like that. So yeah. Why have you? Why have you thought like you know in the last five years deceleration has become a pretty big topic? Like what? What are your thoughts there? Like why do you think that's ha happened? So I would say I think it's a lot of the industry. Um, I mean, I think for a couple of reasons, I think one, you know, you can't ignore the injuries and like the, the non-contact stuff that's happening. And I think athletes are getting more explosive and, you know, every year that goes by, we're having bigger, stronger athletes, like every, every generation that goes by. Like, I remember seeing something, you know, in, in all the average a major leaguer was, I remember reading in a magazine when I was growing up, uh, average major leaguer in the seventies was like five. 10, 5, 11, 170 something pounds. And at that point, I think I was, it was probably like 2005, 2006. I was like a kid at the time. Um, there was a jump. It was 
six one or six two, and like two twenty or two fifteen was like the average size of a major leaguer. So you're you're talking just from like evolution alone of the everyday person. Like we were just getting bigger as human beings, and it's just through like the training that we're doing and stuff like that. But like also the idea that like an example of baseball, um, you know, more and more large athletes are being welcomed into the sport and you see it with everything like of just the average player in like the NFL or the NBA now would probably have been world class, you know, generations ago or, or 30 or 40 years ago just because of the training that we have now and the ability to develop some of these things that we didn't know how to do back then or uh if we didn't know how to do it, it wasn't as mainstream or whatever it is. Like I think that has really increased the amount of output from athletes, whether it's jumping or sprinting or whatever. And if we only focus on that output and we don't really have any kind of ability to stop or stop properly in sports that us to start and stop so frequently, we are leaving ourselves susceptible to potentially more injuries. Um, you know, we're never going to prevent injury, but we can reduce a lot. actively working on decelerating uh, all that type of stuff in our training and i think that was like a, a big part of it was that half of let's you know try to do the best we can to mitigate injuries and then obviously performance side of things where you know we realize like you look at a sport like football or baseball or, or basketball like there is so much soccer whatever it is like there is so much starting and stopping where yeah top end speed is huge and you know a guy that runs a four four goes up against a guy that runs a four seven, they're going to have an advantage in football, you know, downfield, but is it as big as you think if the guy that runs a four, four doesn't accelerate well, or you know, the guy four seven is an exceptional accelerator so they can get off the line just as well. Um, and they can get going again. Working on those qualities and training and, and having athletes start to uh, get better at it. Personally, like my mindset has really shifted from a point of view of, Oh, that in their their sport well yeah that's true they're going to get a lot of that start and stopping and all that kind of stuff but like we should also work on it it's going to help them if like in a controlled setting and this is a big part of why if i can if i can get better at those things in a controlled setting the training is like we're dictating the, the distance we're doing things or it's smaller sample size or they're not as tired as they might be in sport if we can't get better at things in a controlled setting it's going to be really hard to expect ourselves to get better at them in a you know uncontrolled setting such the dynamic you know part of team sports in games right or practice whatever so i think that my mindset has really shifted upon like you know there's a lot of other things we have to do but like that should definitely be a part of what we're doing training is like you know that's got to be included in there like how i just tweeted that before like everyone's working on starting but are we also getting better at stopping because a lot of times in sport we're going to be starting after we have to just stop so that's something I think we definitely need to make sure that we're you know, getting our athletes better with uh, what they're practicing in practice. Can you give us some of those examples? Like, so like, you know, as you've kind of gotten onto this new philosophy, like have you had to research them? Or are you just kind of creating them on your on yourself? Or are you kind of getting feedback from your athletes that you train? I got to be honest with you. It's like anything else with me, with me and honestly stuff that we're doing at a facility. Like, yeah, I read things and learned things when I started out. And I did more so back then because I, one, had more time and two, needed, I, I didn't know as much as I've learned over the course of working with actual athletes. But um, I think it's been really just a combination of like, you got to, you got to think about sports with a lot of this stuff. So 
um, the idea that you know you you look at a sport and you say, okay, like what is prominent in terms of movements that we're seeing, um, you know, in these sports, what is really occurring. So in baseball, like I'm going to see a lot of lateral movement occur where the athlete has to move laterally and then stop like your infielders have to move laterally, you know, maybe plant and then throw across the infield, like laterally and being able to stop, um, you know, other sports like a football player needs to be able to run, stop, run again. Like you just look at a lot of those movements that are happening in sports, be have the TV on, there's game on. And what's occurring, and then okay, like this isn't really anything too groundbreaking. Like if we're gonna do five yard sprints, ten yard sprints, why not that we really, really focus on you know getting to that five yard or ten yard spot, and nailing the breaks, and working on like lowering our body and breaking things down and doing it effectively, right? Are we exposing the athletes to those high intensity decelerations, which is big because if they're not exposed to them, they might get hurt doing them in a game, we're also working on the mechanics of it for effectiveness of, um, you know, getting an edge on your opponent, but also for safety of, you know, reducing injury, like not blowing at a knee. Um, so I think you just have to look at it from a simple perspective and just understanding that if we're doing uh, a 10 yard sprint, we could do a 10 yard sprint and focus on, you know, a hard stop at the end. And then you just kind of expand it from there. Like my thought process was all right. Like, I've worked a little bit on stopping and I've increased the distance in which I'm taking off, which makes it more difficult because I have higher speeds. Now I can work on starting it. So now the next phase of that would be and they have to get going again from that uh, position that they were in. So that's adding another layer to it. And then once you kind of get that, that's more of like the controlled, you really controlled environment where they're not reacting to anything. They're just kind of stopping at a, at a designated yeah. spot. Um, you're now starting to add those type of drills that uh, in the tweet that you referenced where uh, can we make these things a little more reactionary where now not only are they sprinting and stopping at full speeds, but they're going to have to process something happening to know when they have to stop. And that can start again. It, it's all going to like weight training. You're always going to have a baseline, like a middle, and you're going to have a progression from there and a regression from there. So if, my baseline of, of working on change of direction and agility was um, runs and then I say stop and they stop. Like that's my baseline, right? Well, then how do I progress that? Well, I can uh, add a, a, an opponent or an athlete that's going to move in front of them because that's going to stop them. I can roller that they're going to have to watch that roller drop and that'll signify when they should stop. Um, I can roll a, a physical ball in front of them and they have to avoid that. Like, and then how I can regress that is, okay, you know, no reaction to it whatsoever. Before they even sprint, they're going to know this spot they have to stop in. So it's like the same idea as strength training where I might progress a push-up uh, and I might add some weight to it or I might add a slower tempo or I might do things like that to make it harder or progress it by saying, okay, we're going to do a barbell push-up because we're not strong enough yet to do one on the floor or we're going to do a negative only on a push-up because we're not strong enough to push ourselves up from the floor yet. It's the same idea as strength training. Agility, you can progress and regress it, but just like have a, a part in your, or a point in your mind that you look at as like that neutral spot. Like that's, that's kind of the neutral standpoint. Well, how do I progress from there? Or how do I regress from there? Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. So my another question that I have is just thinking about how, how often do I do that? So do 
do do you have classes of kids that are 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 ready to be pushed, or do you think every time it should be like it should it should the progression be like just during a workout where okay we start because it's very similar like skill acquisition you know like from like you know as baseball the baseball side of things we're trying to get we like we will block it out and say okay you're getting five fastballs you're getting you know five curveballs now you're gonna get fastballs and curveballs and then I'm like gonna go totally random so it's it's very similar even to that too so I guess my question is to you like do you progress them do do we do we progress them every time that you run them uh do you do you do you like to work on deceleration randomly or is that something that you're building up to and then you're you're out there for a certain time yeah i would say when i have athletes that first start training um we might just work on starts and things like that and not even get into it right away just because they're very new and i'm trying to work on like you mentioned skill acquisition trying to work you know, 15 different things at the same time is going to be kind of tough um and i, I do look at it as like if you have an athlete that's very slow. I don't think it gets to be, it's something that needs to be as mindful until like they get to the point where like we battle the time of earning, um, earning progression or what I have away from a simple program. If they're still getting results with it, or if they're just starting out, like I have a 12 year old that comes in, we might do a couple of weeks of just per, you know, starts in their sprint just to kind of get that down. Um, but I do want to mindset has changed to where I do want to add those things in earlier and more often because, you know, building an athlete starting ability up for two years and never working on D cell is going to be pretty crazy when they have to actually start to work on it. And they've like, they're shooting off the line and, and really quick and everything. And then like, they have never really actively worked on decelerating. So I think it's something simpler with the younger athletes, um, from a question standpoint, it might go from, you know, starting with a simple, five yards sprint and stop. Then we go to a 10 yard sprint and stop. And then we're adding stops and then starts again. Like that is kind of how I would progress it. Um, the younger athletes we work with, it's going to be more simple. So I think like they're going to just benefit from, you know, start and stop and, and not getting too complex with it. Whereas the older athletes, we say, uh, you know, you need to uh, add this, you know, uh, context of like reacting to an opponent or whatever. Uh, when you're working with younger athletes, sometimes it could be more beneficial to, um, we talk about self-organization, right? Getting them to do things that, or, or do things that put them in the positions you want them to get in that don't from them because it's kind of, they're young and they're not going to be able to really do a lot of things from a queuing standpoint that an older athlete might do. So you say, put this sled on and the sled itself get you in the sprint positions we want you to get in versus you know, giving them 600 coaching cues, which they're 10 or 11 years old, they're going to go in one ear and out the other, unless they're a really special athlete. Um, you could do things that like, hey, guys, let's attack or let's do this. Like just certain things with younger athletes that are going to get them better at like starting, stopping, avoiding each other is saying, okay, here's this drill we're going to do. You're, this is here. You're reacting to this, whatever. Like you're going to have more success in my opinion, just getting those 10 or 11, 12 year olds just to get, you know, get them on the turf and say, okay, guys, like, uh, you're going to start on one end, you're going to start on the other, and he's going to run towards you and try to avoid you, or he's going to do this, whatever it is. Like, you've got to just make it more simple for them. Um, as our older athletes progress, I do look at it as uh, early in the off season, uh, you know, we might just say, hey, let's get just back to some regular sprints, just get going again. And then as we kind of progress along um, in our plyometric training, we start moving to more depth jumps, which is like, you know, landing and being able to uh, handle ground forces. We start to you know, cycle 
uh, of training on just like regular sprinter starts and just building our ability to get off the line a little bit early in the off season. And then from there, we're gradually uh, moving along that progression that I've kind of detailed when it comes to the deceleration drills, starting as basic as a five yard start and stop and adding, you know, starts after the stops, adding in reaction to it and just kind of going from there uh, as we go in the off season. Matt, um, it, just a couple thoughts, uh, and this is really, really good, because uh, I think it's so valuable. Because you know, people always talk about lifting, you know, and the, like you said, like it's just like strength training, and but you know, we go out in there just maybe run poles, or maybe just run, you know, if you're working in the gym, like in, in like in your high school gym, you might just be, you know, doing sprint work on like basketball, basically basketball sprints. So I think this is it, in terms of a program, coach. If you had an hour practice, um, are you doing this for 15, 20 minutes? Is this half of your workout? Uh, what would you, or is this like, is this on top of the hour, maybe strength training that you might be doing? Yes, definitely on for our more our older athletes who might be dividing things into like a, uh, you know, speed day on day one, strength day on day two, et cetera. Um, you know, we're going to, probably focus on like I think we'll start with that they have a speed day separated like as day one and then they have a strength day as day two or upper lower upper lower whatever uh they're gonna be they're gonna be spread out a little more than the younger and kind of like a full body where they're doing speed uh both days but anyway um you know we're going to have them start out with the regular sprint work so when it comes to this type of stuff I tend to lean more towards doing um, regular starts and sled sprints and stuff like that first, and then leaving the detail stuff after, only because I want them to be as fresh as possible for the earlier sprint. Because our focus is uh, be as fresh as possible and be able to have as high as we can. I'd rather not tire us out some detail and then go to our, our straightaway stuff. Where we're trying to build our max output. So I kind of look at it that way. It's like you get in, you warm up. You start out with your regular sprints first, and then we move towards, um, you know, our deceleration work and stuff like that. So that would be, you know, the, the biggest thing is just making sure, in my mind, we do the regular speed stuff first and then progress to uh, the decel stuff afterwards. And then we would go to our plyometrics and then our whatever uh, weight training we might even do on a speed day would be after that. And then the other thing um, I would say with a young athlete is we are probably going to just have, you know, speed to start their session and then maybe some diesel work and then plyos and then strength training. If a young athlete coming in two or three days, just have a full body throughout that week. So they're not having an upper lower split or a speed day on day one, a strength day on day two. It's going to be like a similar uh, schedule. Cause that's size. You're not worried about like, Oh, I'm sprinting them twice or three times a week. It's too much. They're 10 or 11 or 12 years old. They're not 17 at a crazy high output. Uh, with their threshold. So like, I, I look at it that way. Uh, you could probably do the same, the same sprints two or three days a week with strength training. Uh, so that's kind of how I think of that. Um, so if that makes sense, like the, the older athlete, it's on a speed day. It's sprints with a younger athlete. It's going to just get mixed into their general programming. We might do just after their first initial sprints. And can you explain, just so I'm, cl just so I'm clear, like, the difference why they're like why you're all you're all continuing to with the younger kids and not with the older kids why we have a more consistent approach yes yes uh, i just think it's they, they need to be exposed to everything um i don't think their output is high enough to where they need to be separating speed days from strength days 
Um, you know, they're doing goblet squats and dumbbell pushups, not 500 pound trap bar deadlifting that might impact their speed day type of stuff. Like I, I think I'd separate it more so because of that. And then as the athletes get older and progress, they're going to, um, they're going to get to a point where they need to separate and focus on things more. So an athlete's going to need to focus on acceleration only on one day, or, uh, they're going to need to focus on top speed only one day or one day that is going to be, um, you know, where they're going to have to dial in and, and zoom in on one aspect that, that one training day is going to need to work on one attribute. Um, they're going to need to work on, you know, flying fives or flying tens and top speed mechanics and plyometrics that are more vertical in nature on a top speed day, because we need to zone in on that specific quality of building their top speed. And then their second speed day of the week might be on more horizontal variations or 10 yard uh, takeoffs and sprints and heavy loaded sprints because we have to work on, uh, acceleration. So that's kind of like why we would start to separate is those athletes are advancing and now we need to kind of zoom in our scope on particular attributes versus when they're younger, we're kind of just trying to touch our brush on everything, you know, every wall of the room, so to speak. More of a foundation. The, yeah. The, like they're, the, and, and like I said, they're not so, so old and, and advanced and have such a high output that they need to separate things and, you know, focus on like that. Like they're going to benefit from doing the same training program two or three days a week and touching all of those areas as many times as they can throughout a week. Now, would you also classify as quote unquote, the younger athlete, maybe being a freshman or, you know, like you said earlier, the kid that you really slow, not able to, um, no, that's not true. I guess that's not really true, but I'm just thinking like, what would you say, quote unquote, will be a younger athlete? Because like in in a in a high school program, when you have freshmen to seniors, you know, guys who are trap bar deadlifting five, six hundred pounds, but then the other kid has never even touched it. Keep that again. I lost it for a second. So you're saying yeah, say that again. again? I was just thinking, like, quote unquote, what would you deem as like the younger athlete? Because I think it's but, training oh. age. I think it's more so how long have they been training than it is, you know how old are they? So I could have a 15 year old that's never touched a weight before that might be doing a similar program as a 12 year old. Cause they just have never trained before versus I might have a, uh, I've had some 15 or 16 year olds that are doing some things that I have kids in college doing because they're training at such a young age that they are ready or in need of the more advanced type of thing. So it really just depends on how long they've been training, looking at training age versus their actual age. Um, you know, and just making sure that, uh, they're at a point where they want to do things, the basic stuff in a, at a high level. Um, two, are we starting to see that their testing numbers like verticals or sprint speed or whatever are not progressing at the same rate uh, that they were before? So maybe it's time to start to look at some things or make changes. But even more than that is they have a year or two of solid foundation under their belt with basics of training where it would benefit them to start to progress. I, it's just got to look at it from the lens of how much time it's been spent consistently training more so than what their age is. So that's a good thing that you asked me that. Cause I think it's important to look at it as a separation of how long they've been training, not how old are they. Yeah. That, yeah, that's what I was, I was wondering there and just kind of what you saw. Cause I think a lot of coaches are going to have to look at that. You know, they're always going to judge you like me. Hey, you might need to be over here with this group, you know, kind of individualizing within a team setting. Yeah, for sure. It, it, I mean, listen, I'm not going to sit here and, and act like we're going to be able to be, always be super individualized with everything that we're doing. It's just not yeah. possible in team right. settings. Like it's just not something I think coaches put a lot of pressure on themselves to do stuff like that. Uh, and it's not realistic. So I, I definitely want to say that. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you know, as long as you have to be training and 
you know, what can they handle and what have they shown that they've been able to do and look at it more than that and just kind of always making a generalization of every 50 or every every 13-year-old is going to be training the same. But like if that 13-year-old started training at 10 and they built up their ability to do basic goblet squats and push-ups at 10 or 11 years old and, you know, that they're 13 and they can handle more advanced stuff, it's going to be different what they're doing versus the 13-year-old that's never trained before that shows up and starts to train. Thank you for that clarification. That's great. Yeah, I think because I think that I think everybody finds that you know in inside their program. Um, to coach, let me ask you this because I, I I went to, like going off the bat. I only have some baseball background. Um, is do you see this like let's say a starting pitcher? You know they got their run. You know like um, after their start. You know the day after they start and things like that. Do you find this deceleration needing to work like at, like maybe during a recovery day for a pitcher? I would probably stay away from speed type stuff if my thought process is like, let's try to recover. Like, I think it's, it's you're not looking for that. I think you're, you're, you just threw the day before. I don't think that's the first thing you want to do. Um, if that's like your mind, your thought process is I got to recover and I want to like kind of get them back to, uh, to neutral with stuff. Like that's still, that's a very, very high intensity stimulus. So I look at it as like probably, I wouldn't put it in that mindset of like, all right, like deceleration work. Or like it's still speed training. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when do you, would you, do you find it at all? Is it only during the off season then what you think that's the best, best achieved or is it when it would be appropriate during the season? Yeah. I mean, I think during the season, you do tend to look at things from a lens of like, we're playing our sport more than we do in the off season. So, you know, I am on a field doing more starts and stops than I normally would in an off season, like, especially with a baseball player, like in the Northeast where you know, it's cold and you're not out on a field during the winter or in football where you're really not playing any, you're not, if you're a high school football player, there's like not AAU football, like you're not playing club football throughout the year. So you're getting all that exposure during the, uh, the season and not as much during the off season. So that might be a point where I might say, okay, you know, we're going to focus on a lot of the stuff they're not getting. And that's really what you got to look at when it comes to the season for soft season stuff. Um, a pitcher or a baseball player, like I really, I mean, with a pitcher per se, acceleration is not the biggest thing I'm focusing on just from a standpoint of like what is useful for them in their sport. Is that right. really the top of the list? Like they're not, you know, running the bases or fielding balls or whatever. Um, so I would look at that differently, differently because of that. Um, so yeah, no, I would uh, definitely look at it as like, Look at what they're getting in their sport. If you're training an athlete that, you know, it's a soccer player and they're practicing four or five days a week and playing a couple of times a week during the season, you might not need it as much. Whereas they're not getting any, you know, heavier sprint work or loaded sprint work and acceleration work uh, in their practices or games, or uh, they're not working on their to give them those types of things versus working on, you know, even more D cells because not only that, you have to also look at the amount of volume they're getting. You have GPS, like they have GPS systems now for these, you know, advanced college programs or leagues. Uh, you see the amount of like crown contact exposures these athletes have. Like it's so like we want to be careful not doing that stuff when they're training because it's going to just be a lot of volume. Okay, that's a great. So you, if in season versus out of season, depending on what you are getting versus what you are not getting enough of, I guess, and you're playing accordingly. And I love how you said that you kind of yeah, you did came back to saying. Because remember, you used the word prominent earlier. Is in a pitcher's status, uh, it's not necessarily as prominent. So you wouldn't necessarily be looking. Because all I'm thinking about is, you know, guys do sprint work before, maybe after they throw to kind of keep their legs, build their stamina, and things like that. So um, just thinking about the, de- you know, the breaking that the front, the front, the front 
side needs to do. Uh, that's what I was thinking about, you know, just kind of more, more I guess, more of the yeah, I mean, work on that type of stuff, but I probably do it as much in sprinting as a pitcher as I would like depth drops or uh, okay. people do different med ball variations where you're throwing a med ball and kind of slamming the brakes on that front side. Like, right. I'd rather get that. You get it from that. there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. So like, you know, those are the, so, and then just normal, you know, just to build stamina, just to simple running, some simple runs, whatever you want to do, but then just really building the, that kind of like front load uh, off of med balls. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Speaking of med balls, like, so, because uh, I know you, you, you've touched about, because I, and I think that is a world, and I, and I think that's why things that might have blown up for you too, because it's like, um, because that's when I kind of reached out to you, because I was like, I don't think many people really, like, people talk about like to run poles or not run poles. Like, that's like the big thing in baseball, you know? But like what you went through the whole, this like decelerate, like people haven't even thought about it. You know what I mean? When deceleration is like huge, people are doing wrist weights because of deceleration, you know, we're, we're working on, like I said, the front side and blocking out the leg, you know, decelerate. Like you hear it a lot. You hear the kickbacks in the hitting program, you know, in the hitting world uh, about decelerating and things like that. So then you bring this whole thing of like the running part that was like, man, we nobody's even thinking about that. Yeah. Um, no, you're saying from the perspective of like pitchers, like working on deceleration ability. I mean, that's that's a good point. Uh, I do think the limbs need to be able to handle a lot of force, like lead leg especially, um, yeah. to be able to kind of like hit the brakes and everything. So, yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it just comes from like, are we kind of looking at the movements we're training for and getting ready as best we can? Like, are we doing everything we need to be doing in that sense? Yeah, I like that too, man. I love how you kind of like, you know, just like, you think with the end in mind, like, all right, well, here's what we need to do in a game. Are we training this enough? And then let's let's program for that, you know. And you're kind of being creative with the kind of drills and things like that to kind of get to that those special and you, as you quote, say, prominent movements. Yeah, and you have to be careful. Like, get crazy. Like the bases are so great. You want to be kind of cautious with not getting too um, cute with things, just because it might not be necessary. Um, so like as much as you want to watch the sport and get an idea of like what we're getting better at, you do want to be careful of not to get too complicated for no reason, if that makes sense. It's a careful balance between the two. Sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's, that's for sure. I think, cause especially like you said, Twitter is so valuable. Then all of a sudden we just keep on going on and you try and try and try and maybe go down a bunch of rabbit holes and it gets yeah too complicated. And it doesn't need to be, especially with the younger athletes or the athletes that haven't, you know, been training for as long. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, this is great. Great stuff. Um, think about med ball series, you know, think, looking at med ball and the med ball work that you do, um, you know, what would you suggest in terms of, you know, or like, what do you, what do you train for specifically baseball players? Um, you know, again, looking at right now, I guess out of season, and then if you could break it down during in-season, maybe how would that would change? What would that look like? Yeah, so progressing all it's going to depend on each athlete, but generally speaking, we do like to, you know, get the idea that we're doing on more uh, force in terms of speed movement, so heavier med ball throws, things like that, like trying to build force in the context of speed. So that's the first thing we start, like a little heavier in the off-season and then progress to uh, lighter variations as we go. Uh, we're going to be looking at, you know, and torso and 
you know, get build torso rotation and then gradually include the legs, then include weight shift and then include movement into that. And as we're doing that, we're going to be maybe, you know, lightening up the med balls gradually as we go along to eventually move faster. Uh, we're also going to be working on uh, a lot of anti-rotational max force. So basically the idea of like, you know, those force anti-rotationally just like we would with strength training. Uh, so that's a big part of it. Um, you know, and I think the biggest thing I have to realize is everyone always looks at like, oh, uh, you know, I only need to do uh, lighter because I want to move fast. But at the end of the day, you have to understand that in your sport, you're doing the, the fastest rotations you're possibly going to get. You're going with a bat or throwing with a ball, whatever it is. Like, you're rotating extremely fast in your sport. If you're not getting better and more powerful in your rotational output, like we have to start to explore other things that are a little heavier. You can't just always go in there and say, all right, like I'm only going to do lighter rotational stuff in training, like one as close to the dynamics and speeds of the stuff we're doing in our sport. So why would we try to even replicate that? There's nothing that's going to even get close to replicating it in the training side of things. Even a two pound med ball is way heavier than throwing a baseball. Mm-hmm. And the other side of it is if all we're doing is throwing that light baseball and it's, you know, not getting us what we want, then why am I going to continue to do it? Um, why am I trying to continue to do light rotation if the light rotation I'm doing in sport clearly is in that and more anti-rotational strength work and max force production like that type of stuff like that's going to be my ticket versus you know always doing uh, stuff because one we can't get to it it'd be foolish to think we could replicate the speed in which we're doing things in a sport and if we're doing that stuff in sport and not getting more powerful, then maybe it's time to explore some heavier stuff in our training. So I want to say that as well. And then when it comes in season, I am of the thought process that if we're rotating and doing a lot of that in practice and games, um, we're probably going to avoid a little bit of that in the during the part of the season to focus rotationally to give the athletes a little more of what they're not already getting. Uh, and I also want to put in there as a final note that I do think it's overrated like worrying about getting imbalances with athletes like baseball players are, you know, right-handed. So you just, you, uh, you know, you do right and left-handed throws example, because you're worried about creating more imbalances. I mean, their entire uh, sport is dictated on asymmetries and only being one-sided. So one, we'd be foolish to think that, you know, three reps of baseball throws is going to, you know, undo all the uh, asymmetrical reps we're getting in sport. And kind of want to, when it comes to being only right-handed or being only left-handed because, you know, clearly that's what contributes to success in their sport. So those are two things that I'm pretty passionate about. So, yeah, because that is exactly what I was going to ask you about doing things left-handed too. Um, when you were like I'll have switch hitters throw med balls from the right and left side, but like I'm not an athlete do it because I don't want them to get imbalances. Like they're pretty imbalanced enough from the thousands of reps they're doing on that one side in sport. So. Yeah. And and your thing is just over overrated from the standpoint of that it it's you're saying it's not going to throw them off, uh, I guess off balance, or you're not going to do anything off just by them doing it, just right handed the whole time. Yeah, I mean, if they're if you're worried about the, the three reps you did right handed with a med ball in training, the swings they just took or the, all the throws they just did like in, in practice. So like if that's not a problem. Why are we worried about three reps on a med ball throw? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I just throw it six times with your right hand. Yeah, I maybe want to, you know, even promote uh, the idea that I like that because 
you know, they're going to need to be pretty successful in moving uh, in that right side position in their sport. So why am I so worried about that? Like they're not going to, you know, get up in their sport one day and just start working lefty. Yeah, it's good. But above all else, you're never going to you get to do a thousand med ball throws. Mm-hmm. You're never going to be able to outdo that. Like it's just not realistic to try to work to try to get to. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, and I think I think the reason I I would say that I think some coaches look to do that because you know there's there's definitely you see some newer thoughts out there of you know trying to maybe swing left handed or throw left handed kind of get a feel of what your body's doing and things like that. I think when it comes to feel um, of a certain thing or try, maybe try a certain pattern, um, even the athleticism of it, but maybe that's where you know that will be that's where it comes from. Uh, I don't know, but it's definitely something in the baseball world that is, I think, uniquely have people look to do it right-handed and left-handed. Hmm. I'm glad you touched on that. Yeah, no, it's definitely something that I'm a firm believer in. I used to be the guy that was having guys do lefty and righty for that reason. And then the more you thought about it, it's like, yeah, there's like no way I'm going to ever outdo or uh, you know, undo the amount of reps that they're getting uh, out of their body. So like, it'd be pretty foolish for me to try to do that with metal throws. Okay. Thank you. That's great. Um, I, I guess so. So in season again, let's 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 go think about that. You know, recovery day for pitchers. Uh, looking at a little bit of med ball work. Uh, what would you suggest in terms of you know is is med ball work good during the season? Uh, and I, I guess you touched on it a little bit about like depending on how much I guess we're at in the day. If they've done a lot, you might not do much med work during the season. Yeah, for reasons one, they're in their sport too. We might be limited on the amount of time we have uh, in our training due to the fact that we are in season. So let's spend as much time as we can in that time that's maybe shorter and we don't, we have less of it, giving them as much as of what they're not getting already. So like we already, we have 80% of what we're doing is the sport itself, 20%, maybe 10%, 15% that's on training. So let's use that time for things they're not getting already. If they're getting thousands of rotational reps in their sport itself, like rotation stuff. And when you look at it from the standpoint of like, overdoing it a little bit like that is a big reason why a lot of these lower back injuries happen and it's just not healthy to continually rotate like that all year round which is why you know we advise baseball players to take a couple months off and like not play fall ball and like give themselves time to you know get away from those patterns for a little bit like it could be helpful uh in that sense yeah that's that's a great great thought um super great jerry this is amazing um i i because it just opens up a lot of thoughts for me as well because I'm thinking, I, I've, I've come across the term microdosing as I've you know touched about a few because some people aren't going to have the the hour to go work out maybe after practice or this and that. So maybe 20 minutes at a time. And what you're suggesting is, you know, with that 20 minutes, the most important thing is we might need to get a hinge workout in or might get a pull in uh, instead of maybe doing a med ball. Yeah, Be- and that's, because, that's the thing. Because I, might not, I might not have a lot of time. So, right. you know, I just did all that in practice. Like, why am I going to make sure I hammer that more? You know what I mean? Yeah, you would you would put your you would put your uh, the importance on you know one of the major other major patterns that we're not getting in the during. Well, yeah, and what, like what, I'm not I'm not at the field doing RDLs and hinge work and just getting more uh, robust in terms of like my strength and everything like that. So let me just make sure that I'm doing that you know in the in my sport. Okay. So do you think that, uh, so what about that same, that same thought there? Cause I know we hinge a lot in our sport, you know, and then, and then, so we hinge a ton, you know, from leading off to fielding ground balls to just being in a good hitting position. So 
do yeah but i mean it's different though there's no load behind and, and there's really not any of that. It, that that's the biggest difference honestly and the biggest difference is you're saying load behind it from like me throwing 100 percent max effort on the mound that rotation you're is that what you mean yes it, well just like okay. the, the the hinge work where like the hinging we're doing in the batter's box with a 400 pound load you know? Like, we're not trying to replicate that in, in our training. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so you're saying with the like med the, ball the stuff. Sport, the, the med ball stuff we are trying to do is okay. you know, an RDL with 200 pounds. It's a little bit different than just you know, moving through a natural hinge and a rotational movement. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep, just I love the clarification, Jerry. I just love it. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's just great because, yeah, like those are – we were going to see the, I guess, I don't want to say movement, but yeah, it's, but you're saying it's just clearly not with the, uh, the amount of force and it's, and we're still hitting it. I guess you're hitting the muscles differently is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. And what would those movements be that you typically you see in a baseball game that we need to, we need to train, like we're not hitting them, but when you would spend your time focusing on, you know, let's say you've got twice a week during in season, what are you hitting on in the weight room? Uh, I think we're trying to lean more towards the strength training type of stuff. Uh, we're trying to, I mean, you have to also remember that strength is pretty much pretty easier maintained mm-hmm. uh, during that time of year. Like, like you can not train strength directly for three to four weeks. Uh, and it's going to be, you know, something that we can kind of maintain uh, a little easier than speed and power. But also remember that during our sport, we're getting a lot of sprint work in. So uh, we are leaning more towards the get the strength training stuff in and make sure we're getting it done and just kind of trying to to stay away from, um, you know, focusing too much on all that stuff that we're getting in our sport. Uh, I do like to focus on heavier acceleration during here just to make sure that uh, if we are doing speed work, we aren't really getting any heavy accelerations in during our sport. So it could be a benefit to continue to working on that. Uh, but like we're keeping it pretty basic. We're trying to stay consistent, touch on the basic strength movements um, versus the off season. We might work things a little better, et cetera. Um, but we're, we're trying to use those couple days that we have to make sure one, we're healthy and, and we're good to go. So we're feeling good, uh, not pushing it too much to, uh, to the point where we aren't healthy, but also remembering that it is the in season, but we're still trying to make gains. So that's kind of like where I'm with that is just still trying to push the envelope a little bit and make gains because the in season part of sports is a thing. So we need to be careful of just simply trying to maintain. I'd love to get into that, Jerry, is because that's one thing I have thought, you know, because we're all, what I'm wondering is how do we get the gains? Because just uh, this is my thought of um, of me, my challenge of, uh, you know, because we all love these mul- multiple sports athletes and everyone says that, you know, you want to play multiple sports that's, and that's, that's great. And I'm on that train. So then I'm also the challenge is when do those kids get these gains, Jerry, is when do they do that if they're going from football, basketball to baseball, and then they're trying to play a big circuit, you know, uh, in, in the I summer. think that's just part of evaluating where you are as an athlete and where you're trying to get to. And, you know, if you, um, you know, are somebody that is, you know, advancing through high school and you have the goal of becoming a D1 baseball player, you just don't stack up and you don't throw hard enough or hit the ball hard enough. And maybe you have to make a sacrifice and say, all right, I'm not going to play basketball. Or I'm not going to play football this year because I need to just dedicate myself line to having uninterrupted training time and do what I have to do. Uh, if you're a younger athlete, you're eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. 
um, you know, maybe you don't need to, you shouldn't be doing that. Like you need to just be diverse and playing sports, avoiding burnout and becoming a really good athlete. But at a certain point, you need to evaluate whether you are in a position to achieve the goals that you have. And if maybe you need to focus on that one particular thing, if that's what you're trying to get to. It's a great point. It's a great point, coach. It's a great point. Cause yeah, like I, I just have a hard time because like you said, we're still trying to make gains and I'm, and I'm sitting here like, you know, talking to this one, you know, here's a freshman. I know a freshman playing varsity football, probably, probably getting a chance to play varsity ba basketball. And then he's going to, you know, of course play baseball. And then we're going to go, I'm like, well, when is this kid getting stronger and able to possibly, he's always in, in season, he's always in season lifting, you know, microdosing, maybe 20 minutes here, 30 minutes here. So he doesn't get burned out. When is a kid like that? grow when is he when is he able to make these gains is he still young enough i, I don't know like i guess that's my challenge coach yeah it, it's no it's a hard question to answer i don't think anybody had the direct answer to it if we did we'd be you know solving a big, a big problem it's got to be just case by case and dependent upon like does the athlete really want it you know are yeah. they i have an athlete that has literally played baseball since only since he was 10 years old because that's exactly his goal was to play college baseball and he knew that he was physically you know underwhelming um, and he needed to get tools to where they needed to be. He knew if he didn't do that, he got so cases like that. But if it's what the kid wants and they're the one pushing for it, then it's fine. If they're getting forced to do things, then it's another thing. Like, I will give athletes the advice that you know, you tell me you want to put in line not where they need to be, and you're not naturally talented enough to get there. Well, I think you playing three sports a year at 16, if that's your goal, I'm going to tell you that you need to make a change. But there that's got to be your decision. I'm only going to push you there. If you're telling me you want to get to a goal, that's my answer to think what will help you. I'm only going to push you in that direction if that's what you're telling me. If you're not that kind of person and you want to play those sports, I'm never going to say that to you. Go do what you want to do. If you don't want to play, um, you know, hockey, baseball, football in college, and you want to just, you know, have fun and be an athlete in school, I'm never going to push you away from doing that. But that's just, it'd be foolish. So that's kind of where I look at it. That is awesome. Like, that is so real. That is so real. It's not this, play, oh, we love multi-sport athletes, this and that. That is the realest thing that I have heard on that take of multi-sport athletes and not being one and specializing. That is real. Because what you're saying is, it just, and correct me if I'm wrong, it, you will specialize if, like you said, you're 130 pounds wanting to be a Division One baseball player and you throw 78, well... If that's what you really want to do, then yeah, you need to put all your eggs in that basket. Is that what you're saying? Or yeah, and, and yeah, if that's a decision that you are consciously making and that's where you want to get to, then yeah, at a certain point, you know, playing basketball and football is not going to help you throw 90 or throw 78. Tell you talk to me all you want about competing and being diverse, whatever. You know, Aaron Judge played three sports because he's six foot seven, 280 pounds, and a freak athlete. Yes. So playing three sports didn't make him that. He was that, and he was able to play three sports. Yeah. In fact, at a high level. He didn't have to work all offseason to be able to hit the ball 400 feet. And right. he was really powerful. Now, he had to work once high school was over to get to the level of match to make it to the major leagues, but he didn't need to only focus on one sport throughout high school to have a shot at making it to Division One baseball. Right, yeah. All state and, and be the, the power forward on the basketball team because he was that damn good. Right. No, I think, it, like you said, and it's, it's a lot of things now. Like, it's a case-by-case -case basis. But, you know, I think you hit a lot of hit on the head. Is this, is this what the kid wants? You know, if the kid's all about it and they're going in the weight room or they're they're the one going out to practice uh, and that's what their goal is, then, you know, and all of a sudden, yeah, they're, like you said, they're kind of like undersized, uh, I would say, or don't have the, the, the really the numbers 
that even warrant that kind of look, then yeah, you have to make that decision. But if not, and you're not really, and you, like you said, you want to be a student, you want the experience, then yeah, play all the sports you want and enjoy it and have fun. Uh, so I, I, I think that was so real and it was such a very, very good. I, yeah, no, I mean, I guess the approach you have to take to it is to not try to have emotion tied to it, just look at it from the facts and understand that, um, you know, causation versus correlation. Did the sports, multiple sports cause the athlete to be uh, who they are or were they able to play those sports at a high level because of the athlete that they were gifted to be and have the genetics that not everybody has. So that's kind of how I look at it. Awesome. Um, just switching gears here, like last little bit of topic here as we get into a little bit, because I just, it, 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 you know, again, always kind of following you. I loved your content. And you talked to, you're talking soon, and you're seeing a lot of this now at the force plates is the vertical power stuff. Because uh, one of the things you just talked about was improved vertical power output is a great indicator of success for rotational athletes, which we are. Uh, and you said hitters, pitchers, golfers, etc. Um, you know, just wanted to touch base with you about that, you know, because you, you know, like I said, you, you have given a lot more light on the, the, the speed work with along with just the deceleration of it. And then when do we now put in this vertical jumping, you know, the, those kind of things as well. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're doing our vertical work and our plans after our sprint work on a speed day, if we have a speed day separated, if we're doing, like I said, the younger athletes, they're going to sprint and then do jumps. I kind of order it like in that sense, it's speed work and it's jump work and then it's strength training. Uh, that's kind of how I, I separate things up like that. Um, you know, we're focusing on, on box jumps. We're focusing on measuring vertical output and seeing if there's improvements in that. It's kind of like the process we go through and then we can get even more complex from there as the athletes get older with uh, static jumps versus regular counter movement jumps and determining whether or not the athlete is uh, getting a lot out of that with speed or more so from their strength. Uh, but realizing just across the board as we've gone through this, how valuable vertical power is for rotational uh, athletes. How do you like? Are you are you literally just starting to test? Are you just testing the straight vertical or using the plates as well? I'm thinking about most high schools are not going to have it. So, what would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, we force plate. We've been using our just jump mat, and it kind of gets the job done. And I'm not saying we'll we won't, we'll never get a force plate, but like. It just wasn't something I could see spending I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars on when we're getting really good results from something that's not as expensive. Yeah. Um, maybe someday, but like, I'm like, you know, this up on my own, we're not some uh, facility that's backed by millionaire investors. And this great equipment that's, you know, we have a jump mat with very technology and fairly reasonable in price, like 600 bucks. Um, and you can get a lot done with it if you kind of understand the process that goes into it. I think there's a lot of people out there that might even have force plates and really even know how to don't always look to just go get the fanciest things. Like, you know, you can get that stuff. I learn the the reasoning behind the test you're doing and, and develop that the testing protocol and all that kind of stuff. And then get the get the equipment. Like we did velocity-based training before we had a tool to measure the speed of the bar. Like we were going off percentages of maxes and stuff like that and really understanding what it did and then getting the BBT stuff versus like People get this VBT equipment, just strap it on a bar. Cool, look how fast the bar moves, and have no idea like when to go heavier, when to go lighter, what the speed even means, and how to program it. So, so you're saying learn the reasoning behind the test, get the equipment, yeah, like develop an understanding of the concepts you're trying to use in the process and uh, the different methods, and then you know you can start to hone in the specifics of and how effective it is as you get equipment. Like getting the equipment first and having really no clue, I think you can learn a lot from being resourceful without the equipment early on as like a way to get better as a coach. Right. That's awesome. Um, 
because he just because he just went uh, the velocity based training the VBT. Um, I'm just just curious. So, are you, it, it? Do you train? When is a who is a good who is a good candidate to do vertical based training for velocity based training? I think somebody that you know technical proficiency. Uh, their strength movements, and they have really, really good mechanics with just basic loading and movement and strength and the strength training uh, mindset and, like, the just one-to-five rep range and just moving really well. And uh, I think an athlete – I don't have a timetable on it. I'm not going to say, oh, it's got to be a year. It's got to be whatever. You know, are they getting to the point where, you know, getting their deadlift higher and higher isn't contributing to vertical jump gains? Then, okay, maybe we need to start getting a little more complex with using uh, in that sense. So I look at it as, one, just the technical proficiency and the mastery of that, and then, two – um, you know, just the, you know, standpoint of, are we testing things? The testing is giving a certain feedback. It's showing us that, you know, the improvements we're seeing in X isn't contributing to as much of the improvement as Y that was once happening. So X needs to change a little bit. And maybe the change we're going to need is not going from 400 to 450, but, you know, moving 220 uh, even faster. That's case going back to the same principle, as you said, why would I continue throwing doing this rotational thing when it's not giving me the results I want. Yes. In, 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 a, in a sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, for the velocity string. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, and where, so, so the, the thing is the person who would not be ready for that will be people who are basically just starting, just starting to get in the weight room. People who are uh, not young enough to really have those big outputs I guess basically you would say a velocity-based training. Would you, uh, as it would say, say velocity-based training athlete, the person who's not ready. Well, I guess I don't want to say not ready for deceleration work because you're really trying to build that foundation. I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking about the person who's not ready for it, um, which is really the guy who's not proficient in those movements like you talked about. And if they are, I guess, I guess steady making grains, Making gains. Look at it this way: the doing velocity-based training with someone not ready that can't execute uh, just regular strength training would be like you know having an athlete who doesn't even have good deceleration mechanics do this crazy reactive drill and trying to stop and start, like making it really, really, really chaotic. Where we need to just work on basic mechanics of stopping. So, like, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Oh, that was a lot. That was a lot in a, in an hour. That was a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope you I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you think it was good, and hopefully your listeners get something out of it. I uh, I definitely had fun. That was we did cover a lot. That was good. We went over a good bit, man. And so um so speaking of just people getting your content, man, what's the best way uh, to get in touch with you, follow you? Yeah. So uh, Instagram, we're uh, at Challenger. Uh, Twitter is Challenger underscore st. Uh, they limit you on the characters you can use for your Twitter name. So I wasn't able to do the whole challenge of strength back in the day. On, uh, I just started kind of posting a little bit on TikTok, which has been fun. We're just challenging strength on there as well. Um, you know, and that'll kind of connect you to everything. Uh, and then if you want to check the website out, .com, it has more uh, ways to get in touch with me directly via email if you're looking for training or, you know, just want to get in touch. I answer as many people as I can, even in my DMs, but uh, that's not always the easiest thing to do either. But uh, yeah, those are my socials, and uh, I also do have a podcast, Austin Management. Uh, you know, we have good, we have great guests. I, I do solo episodes where I kind of just go through various topics, a lot of the stuff we just talked about, stuff like that. So uh, those are definitely good places uh, to find uh, more about me. And, and
Yeah, your muscle and management is that just, is that just on Spotify? Spotify, iTunes, uh, like all major iTunes. podcast outlets. Yeah, fantastic. And your website is it challengerstrength.com? Yes. Got it. All right, fantastic. I would definitely fully pass it on, especially us Northeast guys. For sure. Very sure. Well, Coach, I really appreciate, it, man. That was a lot of fun, and like I said that was a ton of stuff, and I think we're going to be able to really help out a lot of people for sure. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, happy I was able to come on. and Obviously, I look forward to staying in touch, and, uh, you know, we'll talk more shop soon. Thanks for sticking with us here. I know some of the audio was just was spotty, so I appreciate the patience. I appreciate hanging with us because I knew, even just for me, like, going that conversation it was it actually kind of helped me like really focus into what we were saying what we we're talking about because he was giving out some great great information uh, stuff that I was really wondering stuff how I can make programming better things that uh just better thoughts of think of encompassing a whole program from the speed work to the deceleration acceleration who to do it what groups to have them in uh, the sprint work the speed work and then from the med ball stuff to the uh, importance of you know which which movements we're needing to make uh, in, in season out of season. So just uh, really appreciate you guys holding, hanging on with us, getting through those technical details, um, technical difficulties. It's just part of the process, and it's part of just the reality of the the rawness, authentic podcast. Uh, that we're all about, you know, guys ask me all the time, we always feel like it, the, the main goal is a great conversation, uh, and it's a real conversation, and today's just audio was a, was a prime example of that, so appreciate you hanging on, sorry if it was difficult and frustrating, uh, it was just part of, um, part of the process and seeing where we're at, and just again, just being authentic and raw, and, and about just getting better, and having a good conversation, doing the best we can with our technology, so just loved how he talked about all those different things from encompassing his whole program and talking about in-season versus out-of-season. Loved the conversation we talked about with what to do in-season, how to help people make gains. And I really, really loved his take on specializing as well as being a multi-sport athlete and how that's very dependent on a person's goals who they are, where they're at in their life, because there are certain times where you need to specialize. And I believe it because there's just no one-size-fits-all. That's one constant we've heard across the board. So continue to reach out to him, uh, challengerstrength.com, at challenger underscore ST on Twitter. Must follow. And on Instagram, at challengerstrength. So again, Coach Filippo, thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys for hanging on with us here. Appreciate it. Until next week, keep getting better.